You're listening to Journeys, a bite-sized podcast produced by Comma DC. Comma is a volunteer-led nonprofit helping immigrants in the DMV by giving them a platform to share their stories, skills, and experiences. I'm your host, Halla Flynn, and today's guest is Obiekwe Okolo. Obi, thank you so much for being on our show. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we're glad you're here. Do you want to introduce yourself at all? Tell us who you are. Yeah, uh, my name is Obiakwe Okolo. I am a artist and uh, creative manager here in Washington, D.C. Um, I've been here in D.C. for, uh, wow, seven or eight years, something like that. Um, before that, I was in San Antonio, Texas. And before that, I was uh, in Lagos, Nigeria. I'm Nigerian-American. Wow. Kind of all over. A little bit. Yeah. Can you start by sharing um, your experience about coming to the U.S. from Lagos for the first time? What do you remember when you think back to that trip? Yeah. I mean, when you proposed the topic of journey, um, you know, we talked a little bit about the different directions that could go. And I got to thinking about our journey here um, and how it was, you know, on the surface, like a pretty simple thing. We just hopped on a plane and then we were here. Um, and I think a lot of times you, when we talk about the immigrant experience in America and we talk about the coming here experience, we often talk about these harrowing adventures and treacherous and dangerous um, paths that are taken, but ours wasn't that at all. It was, it was a decision that my parents made, um, to move and to pursue a different life. Um, it wasn't during a conflict. It wasn't fleeing from anything. We just bought a ticket, grabbed boarding passes. And that was it. That was our, that was our journey on the surface, at least. What did your parents tell you about it at the time? Like, how did they explain to you what you were doing, what was happening? I actually asked my mom this yesterday because I, I have, I have like a very spotty memory for, for parts of my childhood. Um, and even this trip, like I remember very vividly, very specific things, but all the other things I kind of have, I've lost a little bit, but, um, apparently my mom and dad just very plainly were like, we're leaving, we're moving to this other place and we're going to go and live there and we're going to have a house there, you know, being six years old. I don't know that. I fully understood what we were leaving. All I could think about was what I was getting, which was my cousins who were living here. So I was like, oh, I'm going to go live with my cousins. And it's just like an extended play sleepover thing. <laughs> um, so I, I was excited. I saw it as, as a, little, a little mini adventure. But all that said, they were pretty honest with me. I think the, the part that maybe they weren't as honest with me about was my dad staying back and why. I, I don't know that they were dishonest, but it just like... I don't think it ever dawned on me until it was sort of like happening that my dad was going to stay back. And, you know, that would eventually have a, a number of implications for for our time here and for my life um, from that point forward. Yeah. Did he eventually come to the U.S. and join you all or did he stay? Never consistently. So he was always going back and forth. Um, he was, you know, that's a whole different journey story, right? Like he was two months here, three months there. One month, one month, six months, six months. And then from ages 13 to 16, he was gone for three years there. Um, and those were unfortunately pretty formative 
um, years for me and for our relationship and ultimately for our family's sort of dynamic and structure. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so taking us back to this plane ride, what do you remember about the first few days once you had arrived here? Did you have like a cognizant sense of I'm an immigrant or not because you were six or seven? And no, not really. I, I don't know what I don't, what I didn't know. I think, you know, it took a while for it to realize that it wasn't a vacation. <laughs> like it wasn't just a trip. I don't know when I realized that like we lived here. It might've been um, after we got our first place because we lived with my aunt for, my mom says it was only two months. I swear to you, it was an eternity um, because so many things happened in that two months that just were not great. Um, so for me, I was like, oh, we lived with them for seven years. <laughs> um, but no, it was two months and we got an apartment. And I think once we got our, our apartment and we were sitting in an empty space, um, then I was like, oh, wait, we're not going back at all. Um, and then, you know, you start to sort of put together pieces of what what the trip was. I think the funny, the fascinating thing about like journey is like, when does the journey start and when does it finish, right? Like, did it start when my mom and dad decided that, yo, we're going to do it? You know, did it end when we uh, got our own place? Is that when the journey ended? Did it end when we became homeowners in the U.S.? Which was two years after the apartment. So roughly two years and two months after we got here. Um, I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. If it started when your parents decided, that means that your journey started before you even knew about it. Yeah. Which is also another interesting thing as like as a first generation, um, I was actually born in the U.S. Uh, on vacation. Um, <laughs> so like I am first generation American citizen and I was an American citizen before we moved here. Um, but as as an, a child of an immigrant and an immigrant myself in the same way, um, that decision wasn't mine. I didn't decide to come here. Uh, I didn't know you know, the parameters. I didn't know what we were getting into. Like I asked my mom, I was like, what were you thinking? And she's like, I was terrified. My mom was, she was born and raised in Nigeria, born in Onicha, lived in Lagos forever. She had a practice. She had a business there. Um, her family was there. Her friends, all her friends were there. She knew nothing else, truly nothing else. So for her being conscious of all of it and having so much of her life there, she was like, I, I was losing everything. I lost everything. One, one day I had it all and 12 hours later, I, I had nothing. And this is before, this is like before cell phones. So it wasn't like, oh, I'll just hop on FaceTime and let everyone know that I made it. And truly, you left everything behind. When you think about the difference between her experience and your experience, even though you were literally on the same trip, what, like, do you remember her being scared or do you think that she was just there for you i remember her being quiet which i also think is why i remember so much about the trip like airports are why i eventually went into architecture because i was like i want to design airports i don't know what that meant i don't design airports now clearly um but i love i love airports i love there's no other space on earth like an airport as far as like what it does and the people the way that people interact with the space there's nothing like it in the world what do you think an airport does it's a node. It's this like bizarre 
transitory node where here and there are the same thing. And I don't know that there's any other space in the world like it, right? Because like an airport is staffed and, and functions because of the people who live here, but it is populated by the people who live there. Um, and they exist in the same space and they're moving through the same space. And it's like, it contains reunion and you know, for lack of better words, divorce. Like it's a space that contains both the reuniting and the separating in equal measures and in equal intensities. Um, and I've always been fascinated since, since I was a kid. And I think that that trip was, that trip was part of it. I also remember thinking that it was the longest trip I'd ever, like, I felt like we were going to the ends of the earth because like, this was before there was a direct flight from, from Lagos to Atlanta. So it was Lagos, Amsterdam, New York, Houston, San Antonio. So even after flying for a total of 18 hours or 20 hours, we still had a two and a half hour drive. So I was like, oh, we're going to the literal end of the, of the world. There is no more world after we make this trip. Um, you know, some of the most vivid smells and memory smells in my life is the smell of recycled air on an airplane and like airline, like engine fuel. I still have the same bizarre adventure response and a little bit of a fear response when I'm, you know, in the jetway on an airplane. It's still, and I feel like that a lot of that is rooted in this, you know, formative core memory of um, hopping on a plane and, and going somewhere else. Yeah, I think... Airports are such interesting metaphor for this whole dynamic you brought up earlier about the different types of journeys, right? Because that's a place where they all converge. Um, you've got people who've made harrowing journeys. You've got people who've made normal or unmemorable or just like ordinary flights that they do every day. You've got people who are having one of the most joyful experiences that they'll remember because they're being reunited with somebody or they won a visa lottery or they got upgraded to first class. Like there's so much that converges all these different experiences in one, but there's also so much within the airport system that divides people and can exclude or invalidate like who belongs who gets pulled for security, who gets to be comfortable, who gets to be treated nicely, and who ultimately, who belongs here and who doesn't. And I don't know, you bringing that up made me think of how many levels there are to that. Did you ever feel like your immigration story doesn't belong? Yes. I mean, 100%. I think in America, we are a country of extremes you know, we don't, we don't understand anything unless it's presented extremely. And that's on both sides of the aisle, right? And I think that is unfortunate because, you know, again, when you think of an immigrant story, it has to be heartbreaking. And that sucks. That sucks not just because we end up commodifying the heartbreaking stories and recycling them to emotionally manipulate but it also sucks because it invalidates the vast majority of immigrant stories, which are not necessarily heartbreaking. You know, there's loss. Anytime you leave something, there's loss, but you're also going into something and there's, there's gain. Sometimes immigration happens as a byproduct of privilege. 
my immigration story happened functionally as a byproduct of privilege, you know, privilege in Nigeria. Did we leave all that privilege behind and come here? Yes. <laughs> and came here and was very, very not as privileged at all. Um, but our immigration happened as a byproduct of privilege. And you don't feel as if you get to call yourself an immigrant because you haven't, you know, harrowed the desert or scaled a mountain or, you know, fallen prey to you know, coyotes on the border or fleet a, a conflict or a war. It's just like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm not an immigrant because of that. And it's such a weird, you know, to be an immigrant is already to exist in a third space. So then to then be one more removed from that third space, it's like whatever the nomad land is, there's this other like nomad land that's just, meh. Um, and it's super weird. So that's the long way of saying that, yes, yes, I have felt that that story has has been or my story has has been invalidated somehow in the past yeah um do you remember any specific times where like you first started feeling comfortable or like happy with identifying as an immigrant because like you mentioned that you've had the citizenship your whole life Mm -hmm. But, like, you also had the immigrant experience. So mm -hmm. at what point were you like, yeah, I'm a part of this. Oof. I'm not on vacation anymore. Oof, that's a good question. I mean, I think it must have been, like, starting school here. It was a little bit of, like, when my name <laughs> became up for debate. Like, when suddenly I was talking about what I was going to call myself and what people were allowed to call me. Obi is, a, is, a, is, a, is an affectionate shorthand and it's a it's a prefix in Igbo language it means heart so there are plenty of obi names in the Igbo language obiamaka um obiakwe obina there are many obis because it's it's a one word that forms a, a phrase i didn't know what star wars was until i got here so i got here and suddenly <laughs> it just made that connection i had not yep, thought yep. of it earlier but yeah yeah so like i didn't know what that was so i got here so suddenly there's now this this whole world that's built around my name that is not a world that I was part of or understood or knew at all, first of all. And also, like, no one called me Obi really in my family. Like, Obi Akwe is just my name. It's spoken affectionately. It means uh, my will has aligned with God's will. You know, Obi was a term of endearment, a pet name that was used in the most affectionate circles. And suddenly, I live in a world where because it's harder for them to pronounce my full name, everyone gets to use that. You know, that was that was super disorienting. Um, and it's recently in life, I have now gone back to using my full name um, everywhere where I'm not familiar with people. So like, I introduce myself as Obiakwe. I don't necessarily present Obi. When I do present Obi, it's because I'm like, okay, cool, we're, we're there. Like the barrier to entry is probably not as high as it was when I was a kid. Like it's not like, you know, tender, affectionate pet name, but it's like, okay, you're not a stranger. And then there are some people who I'm like, I don't feel safe with you. You're going to call me my full name. I'm going to make you work for forever. <laughs> <I don't... laughs> and if any of them are listening, you know who you are and I don't feel bad about it. You will still continue to call me my full name and I will correct you every time. I think there's something, yeah, I think that was probably the moment when I realized like, okay, we're not going back home and this is a new place that I need to figure out how to make home. And if I don't set the, and this is something I didn't realize until 
way, 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 way later in adulthood. But, you know, if I could speak to six-year-old me, I would say you set the rules. You set your own terms of engagement for other people to abide by. Otherwise, they will set them for you. And most of the time, they're going to set it out of, out of convenience to themselves, out of laziness, out of ignorance. And not a, not a malicious ignorance, but a, a, a benign ignorance. Um, that's, that's, that's the advice I'd give baby me. <laughs> I think that's really good. And I think people of all ages will appreciate hearing that for sure. I hope so. Yeah. No, I appreciate you all, you know, providing the space um, for the full breadth and range of of immigrant narrative. Yeah, that's our goal. So, yeah, thank you so much for participating, for being part of it, for being on the show. Of course. For all of your candor today. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks to Obiekwe for being on our show and to our listeners for supporting us this season as we continue to share immigrant stories from around the DMV. If you'd like more, subscribe to hear our episodes that come out each Friday on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. For upcoming events, visit our website, commadc.org, or follow us on Instagram at comma.dc. 